Jared Reston tells us about his initial foot chase with the suspect. So you guys start taking uh, you taking off. How much faster are you than Chris? Uh, at that time, we were we were staying together because um, we were just kind of jogging and pushing him. Again, we we he ran across Arlington Expressway, which is a six lane highway. It gets pretty busy because it happened at seven forty at night. So he got across. You know, we hadn't had to watch to make sure he didn't get smoked by a car. So he crossed, and then and then we crossed, and then it, it ends up into a large outdoor shopping center kind of deal and he was running towards the front of it and we were kind of cutting through the parking lot so because he had to run across the front of uh, on the front sidewalk so i mean we were still together at that point you know no one's really tried to pick it up and go get him yet we were just gonna keep pushing him and pushing him and you know thinking he was just gonna be like all right i give up like get tired and throw his hands up you know welcome to game of crimes Hello, players and playerettes, if that's actually a word. Welcome back to Game of Crimes. I am Morgan Wright, the still the most interesting host on this podcast, and I'm literally here with my partner in crime. Steve Murphy, you can call me Murph, and uh, you know he's full of shit, just like he always is. That is true, but it is good-smelling shit because I bathe <laughs> regularly. So <laughs> That's gross. <Hey. laughs> Thanks for joining us, guys. Hey, uh, everybody, welcome back. This is going to be episode 33. We're going to get into that in just a minute, but before we do, just a little bit of housekeeping. Hey, head on over to Apple and over to Spotify. They've got the ability now to rate podcasts, so hit those five stars. And we really appreciate it. You know, Go in there, give us a comment, let us know what you think. We're going to be making some changes this year based upon some feedback we got, so hopefully you guys will go do that. We love getting feedback. We, we, you know, we want to improve this. It takes a lot of time to do this, so we want to make sure that whatever we do, you guys are enjoying it. So head on over there. Give us those five stars. It really helps us out. Also, head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com, our website, where we have a new section, our book section. And you, as you will see, we'll talk about Jay Dobbins' event. He's got two books that are on there. We've got some other guests coming up that have books. So we will be heading putting those out there as well for you, too. It's our mailing list. Anything with merch is going to be there, too. Follow us on the thing called social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But where you got to be, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes, right? Yes, yes, sir. Right before we were recording this, we just got through doing the January 2022 Case of the Month with Murph and his Met Team deployment, which is this is a shit show of epic proportions. You're going to want to hear this Case of the Month. <laughs> I'm telling you. This was, and if, you know, I, so I started off the episode by saying, what does this episode and the monkeys have in common? It's the last train to Clarksville. So yeah. Yeah. it happens in Clarksville, Tennessee. And all these years later, talking about today just got me all fired up again. It's just ridiculous. Boy, it got him pissed off. But if you want to hear what he got pissed off about, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. Head on over there, share one, tell one, give the gift that is me and Murph. Join us there. We've got like, I think, 60 episodes on there now. Wow. We put out, I was just counting this too, Murph. We put out, we, we do a bonus thing too, but we put out six to seven pieces of content a month. Yep. Across all our different levels. So we are the wor hardest working podcasters in show business. <laughs> so just head on over there. Also go to paypal.com. Use our email, Game of Crimes Podcast at gmail.com or paypal.me slash Game of Crimes, whatever it makes it easier for you to support the show and help us bring you even more exciting content. But before we get in, just a quick disclaimer. 
this is a show about crime. We talk about bad things, uh, bad people doing bad things, and bad people doing bad things to good people. We take the story seriously, but... We never, never take ourselves serious. Eh, well, that's what makes it fun. And how do you know we don't take ourselves serious? Look at us. Because you know what time it is. What time is it? It's time for... Small Town Police Blotter. And boy, do we have some exciting stories this week. I'm telling you, just these are riveting. Keep you in your chair asking for more stories. And Steve, the first one, I don't know where Bilton is, but a woman found a hat. This is a real report. Woman finds a hat and tree. A hat has been found up a tree in Bilton. The woolen head garment, which is red and has a bobble, was discovered on Tuesday by Bilton Lane residents Sharon Bromance. There's a name for you, Bromance. Bromance. 43. I could hardly believe my eyes when I saw it up there, she said. I got it down with the stick and put it on a fence post. The owner now, Steve, has 10 days or has until April 10th to reclaim the hat, after which it will be destroyed. That would be a tragedy to, to uh, destroy a red <laughs> woolen hat that has a bobble on it. What the heck? Why was that reported to the police? Where's the law enforcement function here? <laughs> Found property. Oh, my gosh. Found that, property. That, oh that my must God. be a, a very quiet town when that makes the police blotter, right? When that makes the police blotter. Well, which tells you now, if it made the police blotter, then it made the local paper, right? That's, That's right. That's how we find out about it. That's how we find out about it. So, hey, but this next one is going to be kind of a statement of the obvious. I'm not going to read you the subtitle. I'll read you the headline. And then the part of the story, and then I'm going to tell you the subtitle. Was bank robber a he or she? Someone robbed the bank across the street from the Palo Alto police station yesterday, but it's not clear whether the robber was a man or a woman, according to police. Subtitle, breasts might be a clue. <laughs> that, was in the, that was in the paper? That was the paper. That was the subtitle. No shit, Sherlock. Oh. I mean, we ought to elevate you to, you know, to, to Sherlock Holmes level. Breasts might be a clue. No, <laughs> duh. Oh, you know, you hear the old say, you can't make this shit up. You can't make this shit up. <laughs> you can't make this shit up. And here's another one you can't make up. This one I've heard of before, and there's another funny story I'm going to say for another le- episode. But this one, title of it says, Burglar. And Steve, you know, we've all had those... Uh, you know, situations to where you, you, you're in your house, you think there's somebody there, you hear the floor creaking. Not this time. An Oak Hill community couple discovered a thief in their home Saturday after the man told a joke and heard a laugh upstairs. Oh, oh. Well, that's a really good joke, but that's a really bad feeling. <laughs> Makes you thinking about the guy wearing the mask. Uh, you know, what's those horror movies where they're in the house with you? Yeah. Oh, geez. So what happened? Oh, they, they they were returned from running errands Saturday. Thought they heard someone upstairs. And uh, I don't have the rest of the article because oh. it's just a clipping. But, again, I just thought it was cool. You know, hey, one, one is, <laughs> hey, if you want to find out if there's burglar in your house, tell a really funny joke. Oh, talk about the pucker factor. Whoa. Or tell a dad joke. You know, like, uh, you know, hey, uh, I hear it's raining cats and dogs outside, so don't step in a poodle. <laughs> and then listen for the groans. Oh gosh! Just like that. See, I would. If you were at my house, I would have detected you. See, that's my burglar detector. I apologize, everybody, that you heard that. Well, Steve, now we're going to see if you can actually. I gave you. I, I gave you a throwdown last week because I gave you one date, but this time we're back. It is on like Donkey Kong. You're going to have to guess what year this was. This comes okay. to us from the Alton Evening Telegraph out of Alton, Illinois. 
August 1st. You just have to figure out what year. Okay. A woman and seven men are charged with strip holdups. Wait a minute. That's, that's have, Snow White the Seven Dwarfs right there, isn't it? Ah, uh, no, not, not this. If it was, this would be the X-rated version of it. <laughs> okay. So uh, they were said to have admitted participation in numerous number of robberies held for grand jury. Brother of deputy sheriff, one of those named in warrants. So what happened in Edwardsville? A slender. I love the way they used to write back then. A slender 27-year-old divorcee and seven men who had a lot of fun while it lasted told today of careers and crime brought to an end after two and a half years by a strip tease hold-up technique. The rueful, while it lasted remark was attributed to Mrs. Cheryl Walker of Litchfield by Sheriff Simon Henry, who claimed confessions from the entire gang now facing armed robbery charges. So what they would do is they would waltz in, she'd strip, and while people were busy noticing that, they would rob them. They would also take other women out to rob them and make them strip. So, wow. woman, seven men charged with strip holdups. <laughs> well, I got to say, that's the first for me. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> so, what year was it, Steve? Was it August 1st, 1918, 1928, or 1938? Let's go with... Uh... 1938. My God, you like Georgia wins one every 141 years. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there you go. It's going to be a good week. How about that? It's going to be a good week. You're, you're, you're starting off the year one for one. So well, one for two. I gave you a throwdown. I don't know if we're going to count that. Maybe it's one and a half and oh. You're not well, two and oh. You're one and a half and oh. I see saying this is a good, that's a good omen there because the story we're getting ready to bring you is a good one. Lucky number seven. Well, you wouldn't consider it lucky if you were on the other end of it. But hey, this one too, this actually came to us from one of our listeners out there. He goes by the name JT. I don't want to say his last name because we didn't get permission, but sent me just an Instagram message one day. said, hey, there's this guy here. He's a friend of mine. Got a really good story. We called and talked to him, Jared Reston, a former uh, police officer. And we explained this too. He's a police officer though, but with the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. So there's a whole history around why it's the sheriff's office and why they're called police officers. But Murph, this is a guy you want to talk about somebody with a mindset. I wish we could instill in a lot of other police officers, but this is somebody who was shot seven times and still had the will to win was not given up. And one of those shots went through his face. Yeah. You know, and here's the thing to listen for as he's telling you the story, listen to see if you ever hear him even even entertain the possibility that he might die that day because he doesn't. It's a phenomenal. I can't imagine how I'd react. I'd probably be laying up crying like a baby. And, you know, we always say, well, hell, if, you do that with the cold. Now it gets down to 40 degrees and you're like, Oh my God, I got to move. Hey, just so you know, I got long pants on today. Okay. That's, that's like a first since I've been here in Florida. It's chilly here today. <laughs> You're men, and men are whiners too. You women know that too. We get a cold and we whine. But this guy, Jared, did not whine about anything. Not at all. Didn't whine about being shot. Didn't whine about the recovery that he had to do. Didn't whine about the stuff that he had to do to recover and his rehab. He just, I mean, it's this incredible mindset I have seen in very few people. It is. And, and he took care of business. Not only did he survive, he took out his assailant. Now, it's, it's a little, this one is going to be a little bit more gruesome than some we talk about. Uh, it's going to be graphic, yeah. you know. But all our show, we don't we don't hold back. We want you to know the true story. And the truth is, you need to hear what really happens on the street. What what these brave men and women in law enforcement are going through on a daily basis out there. 
And the one I hope we can get someday, too, is what they call a police agent out of Aurora, Colorado. She was the one that took out that active shooter, was shot, and I saw her a video coming out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Badasses don't come in one sex. They come in all different, well, two, you know, male and female. So Absolutely. they can be anybody. And also canines. Canines are pretty badass, too. So we'll have to talk yeah. about that sometime. But Murph, we can't really tell people about it until I ask you if you are ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the game of crimes. Ladies and gentlemen, this one is good. I mean, we bring you good content every week, but really, get in, sit down, shut up, and hold on. Bring on Jared. This is an unbelievable story of survival. Hey, guys. We had a... This is Morgan Wright. As you guys know, and I'm here with Murph, and we are going to have another kick-ass episode for this year. Um, We started off with Murph's wife, Connie, and the Real Housewives of DEA Narcos. You know, we've got a couple others coming out, but this one, I'm telling you, uh, this one is one awesome story, Murph. You know, this is just, I can't tell you how many folks we've interviewed that have gone through very similar things. And every time we do, man, I get chills because it's just, it, it really is, it's a great honor to talk to guys like this. Absolutely. And and this is not just a kick-ass episode. We're going to have a kick-ass year. You know, actually, Damn I'm getting skippy. my ass kicked now for having my wife on the show. So I'm going to pay for that for quite some time. But hopefully you guys enjoyed it. But uh, today uh, is a special guest on here who is another survivor, somebody who, uh, without question, has a 110% will to live. Uh, once you hear his story, <laughs> you're going to know exactly what the hell we're talking about here because this was, uh, it, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Let's get right into it. Well, and real quick thing too, guess what, guys? We got an intro to uh, Jared here that we're bringing on from one of our players out there, JT. I won't mention his name because I hadn't got permission yet, but JT's a friend of Jared's. He said, man, you got to listen to this story. So, hey, Jared, dude. Welcome to Game of Crimes. Yeah, baby. Right, thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me on. Now, you say that now. Wait till the podcast's over. You may, <laughs> you may live to regret this. <laughs> you may live to regret having me on. <laughs> I don't think so, man. Our pre-call, what we talked about there and some of the research we did, dude, this is going to be one awesome story. So, hey, Jared, as we do with everybody, man, we want to find out a little bit about you before we get into the story. But, you know, tell us, what in the hell possessed you to become a cop? And I know I'll, I'll kind of tee it up for everybody, but um, you had some bad influences like your brother, <laughs> you know, he kind of, he kind of sucked you into this and then your brother went off and became a fed too. Yeah, he did. He did. But, um, yeah, he is yeah. a good one. He's a good one. Um, but yeah, so my brother was in law enforcement, um, when I was, you know, younger, he started when he was like 19. I remember it was funny. Cause like my mom used to have to buy his bullets for him and stuff like that. Cause he wasn't <laughs> able to buy bullets in Florida. I and, did that. Uh, <laughs> so, um, he, uh, he, he didn't influence me either way. What I saw was just like the brotherhood and the relationship. And I, I played sports growing up and things like that. And I just, I liked the camaraderie and like the brotherhood and like, kind of like the, that locker room fun. Like you're doing a serious job, but you can also have a lot of fun doing it. Well, let's talk a little bit about that too, because, um, you, you got, you were, I mean, your dad moved all over the place. He was a, 
uh, you know, who's in the chemical business. But one of the towns you lived in, we were talking about it, Homa, Louisiana. Uh, when I was a trooper, arrested a guy, long story short, he was a homicide suspect out of Homa, but aspirated on his own vomit. He was a heroin addict and went through bad withdrawals. But I mean, you, you, you actually got the chance to play in the God-fearing good old Midwest. You got to play in Missouri, some football there. <laughs> I played a little bit of football there, yes. Well, but that but that's where that locker room mentality you talked about too, right? I mean, you grew up in high school, you watched your brother, and then you went to play football. And uh, you were kind of a big guy too. You were what, uh, defensive back, uh, line or defensive end and a linebacker? Yeah, so um, I started, like when I graduated high school, I was, you know, 6'3", 225. When I left college, I was about 6'3", 275. So, I mean, I, I put on, you know, good weight, but just um, to to move from linebacker down to to the end and it wasn't really the locker room I would say that got me it's like like I still have friends that I played with in high school football like they're still true friends today like the, it builds relationships and like the, there'll be no friends like the friends I have in police work it's just kind of one of those things when you I hate to like compare the two but when you do work and you get in the trenches and you suffer together like that that builds a special bond that other jobs don't have Absolutely. It's the it's the law enforcement family that we talk about all the time, the brotherhood and the sisterhood. Hey, well, let's talk a little bit about your brother, too, because besides being a bad influence, he kind of got a cushy job, man. He ended up becoming the assistant special agent in charge of... Uh, the Caribbean for the air unit for the DEA. So he's, he's a, he probably wears shorts oh, wait, 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 every day. Wait, did I just hear DEA? There, yeah. That's a good man. That's a good career yeah, choice. Is. Yeah. Oh, well, there's no accounting for taste, but in spite of the bad direction from your brother, but I mean, but you actually got to go out and ride with him a couple times or a few times, right? Oh yeah. I rode with him pretty much any chance I got kind of just to hang out. Um, I started when he worked in Putnam County, Florida, when I was I think 16, like the first time and, you know, enjoyed doing that with him. He was only like 21 probably at the time. And, uh, you know, Got to see that side of things. And then when he, he transitioned over to the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, I got to ride with the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office with him too. So did you get in any into any hairy situations uh, as a, you know, riding along with your brother? Was there any uh, things that you recall that um, you went, oh, crap, this is, you know, not only is it exciting, but this is fun? Oh, heck yeah. I mean, he's a police officer in Jacksonville, Florida. It's not dull in Jacksonville. I was in multiple vehicle pursuits and multiple, I had not able to do foot chases, but he was in them. And you know, like, I mean, we did, we did it all. Did you ever get the chance to hop out of the car and help pounce on a guy and help your brother arrest him? No, he, I mean, he was pretty good on just stay right there. He wasn't going <laughs> to let did, me take any of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> and did you follow direction? Uh, ish. Sometimes. Ish. <laughs> Which well, served you, you well later, to big too. brother? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, but, but after all that writing, like I said, you went to college, uh, Southwest Missouri State, right? No, just Missouri Valley College. Oh, Missouri Valley College. I'm sorry. That was the, was that, was that part also the Missouri Valley Conference or was that different? No, different. Okay. Yeah, because we we uh, we we when we were talking to we realized we both went to smaller schools. NAIA Division One, I, I was your Division Two. We probably crossed paths somewhere, or at least our schools did. I'm I'm older. It doesn't look like it. I'm older than you, but I still got Jeez. the hair and everything. I call but, you granddad on this show. Yeah, I don't wear depends like you, Murph. So anyway, hey, hey, but let's, if it works for you. 
<laughs> Let's get back to our regularly scheduled podcast. But so, Jared, but as you're going through college, what was, I mean, what did you think you were going to do while you were in college? Did you already know you wanted to go into law enforcement or were you thinking of something else? I wasn't even really thinking of much, but playing football and, you know, hanging out and doing, um, my major was business at the time. Um, so it was just, I don't know. I didn't know what I was going to do. Didn't for law enforcement. That's one of the great things about law enforcement. You don't need a criminal history back or you just need a degree. You don't, you could be in anything you want it to be. So just one of those things that, um, I didn't want to be pigeonholed, I guess, but I didn't, I didn't think I was going to be a policeman. I don't, I wasn't probably the best kid in the world. So, you know, that is a common story among <laughs> many folks who. Well, that, that might that might require a little exploration here, Morgan. What do you think? Well, let's. Let, did you fracture a few laws as a Ute? No, I I have I have. Did you go to jail? All in good fun, though. All in good fun. Good fun. <laughs> <laughs> what define what all in good fun is? Give us one example. Come on. Uh, just you know, I just I did whatever we. I mean, I wasn't scared to fight. I wasn't scared to do things. I just. I mean, I just would do what I did. I didn't drive the speed. I mean, I did that. Why everyone becomes a police officer? You get to drive fast. You get to fight and shoot guns. I mean, what are you <laughs> legally? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now the secret's out there. Everybody's going to want to be a no, cop. Everybody's going to. Uh, yeah, I can you drive. Go. You mean I can drive fast and not get a ticket? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah, try that now. <laughs> yeah. Even retired. Yeah. So. What 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 was the what at what point did things change from you thought you might have gone into business what started changing for you that pointed you that got you into law enforcement so I was going to transfer schools and play uh, try to play football somewhere else that kind of fell through and um, why did you want to change did Missouri was it losing appeal for you or just playing or what was it I'm from Florida and it's Missouri. <laughs> and it's well, you're used to the humidity anyway. Yeah, but I mean, it was just a long, far away from my family, far away from a lot of things. Um, it was a good time while I was there, but I had a better time home. Um, so it was just, you know, probably me being whatever, just looking for a a better option. Uh, probably should have stayed, but it doesn't matter. It turned out well for me doing what I did, and then. Um, when I was there or home and that fell through, I just didn't want to like stay living off my mom or whatever. So I just joined the police Academy and started going to, it. I mean, I, it, it was always going to be not always, but it was kind of like a calling, I guess. Like I was like, all right, well, let's just do this. And then once I really got into it, I got into it. Let's talk about that, that beginning though, because Every state's a little bit different, and Florida at that time was a little bit different. You had to put yourself through what's called post, right? The basically the police academy. You had to pay your way. Yeah, we had to pay our way at that point. Like, it's. I mean, it still ran through the college. I mean, it's still like that here. But you had to pay the college. You know, you went to college. You got college credits for going to the police academy, and then uh, once you graduate, you got to take your state exam, and then you start applying to agencies. So what was that? What was the academy like? It was six months, right? Yes. Um, Monday through Thursday, you know, eight to five every day. I mean, it was the police academy. <laughs> wow. The academies I went through, it was five days a week or you lived on campus. Well, the, we, it so the only program they had back then in 2000 that did that was like the police corps, 
which was pretty awesome. Like they, they lived, they did six months. They, they, I mean, they were doing like 12 hour days and, and that was a great, great program. Uh, but they kind of got away from, they got rid of that program, which was sad. Cause that was, that was, you were already hired. An agency sent you to it. Hmm. Um, and like you got a, a pretty nice check when you graduated from it. If you graduated and did like a year on the, or whatever, you made it through your probation with that agency, like, and it was f- uh, funded through the federal government. It was a pretty awesome program, but I wasn't in that program. So what, what's, the, what's the part about the academy you like the most? I mean, really nothing about the academy did you like, but I mean, I, I, I liked the, 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 the defensive tactics. I liked all the high liabilities, driving, learning how to like, learning now how to drive rather than just driving fast and not really knowing what you're doing, but like putting, applying skill to something that you enjoy. And did that, and had you done much shooting prior to that, considering your brother was a cop or was that like the first time you actually got into shooting? No, my, my dad shot guns growing up. He was like, he would shoot in pistol competitions. I'd go to the range with him and shoot, but that was like the first time I ever really had instruction on how to do it. I mean, I, I was good enough, and I just think I was kind of good enough athletically or whatever. Like, I was the sharpshooter of my academy class and things like that, but it wasn't – but I look back at it, I was like, damn, I couldn't shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody looks back. They go, dang, was I that bad when I started? I'll tell you, we were so impressed. We had a couple guys – when I went through the patrol academy, They were we were shooting Smith & Wesson 686s. But we had a sergeant from the 50-yard line could consistently put it in like a two- or three-inch group all the time from 50 yards. And we're going, how would you do that? You know, just shot thousands of rounds, man. You know, my, my first police academy was the West Virginia State Police Academy. And uh, one weekend I went home and I brought back, I bought a, a Colt Cobra snub-nose airweight. And I couldn't hit the broadside <laughs> of the bomb nice with this damn thing. <laughs> so I took it to our 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 primary firearms instructor was Ralph Porterfield, Sergeant Ralph Porterfield. I'll never forget the guy. And I said, I said, Sarge, there's something wrong with this gun. I, I can't hit anything with it. And he said, give me the damn thing. So we go at 25 yards. He holds it upside down, pulls the trigger with his pinky, and puts him right dead in the X. He said, that's not a gun problem. That's an operator problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's showing off. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, but that was good stuff. Well, well let's, let's get back to you now, Jared. Um, so... You put yourself through, how much did it cost back then to go through six months of the academy? I think right around like $2,000, I think, at the time. I, I couldn't tell you exactly what it was. Yeah, but, but even then, it seems relatively cheap. But the downside was is um, that was basically like a full-time job, so it was tough to work and go to the academy at the same time. Oh, yeah, you couldn't. Like, I mean, you, I mean, there was people who – I mean, I had like a very, very limited part-time job, but um, – I mean, yeah, I mean, for the older guys that had families, like it, it was a really hardship on them because it's, it's a full-time job that you're paying for <laughs> to go to. And then it's hard to work, you know, for those guys, it was, it was tough. You know, I was a 20, 21 year old, you know, single dude. It was kind of easier for me. Yeah. So uh, when you graduated, what do you remember? What was, you remember the month and year you graduated? Uh, I graduated in... April of 2001. And did you know where you wanted to work at that time? I always wanted to work for the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. Um, but at that time, you know, there's hiring freezes and things like that. So I was I was going to work wherever until I could get to the Sheriff's Office. So tell us about your path there. So you get out. Um, where did you apply at? 
besides Jacksonville? Uh, Jacksonville Beach, Clay County, Putnam County, um, Nassau, any, any, everywhere in Northeast Florida, I applied. Um, but Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office came through, and I started in the courthouse there. So how long did it take you to get through the hiring process? Uh, the hiring process, probably probably only a couple months because they, I mean, everything, you already went through like a, almost like a hiring process or a selection process to get into the police academy. It's not like you could just go to the police academy and pay your money. You still, like it was a selection process to get into the police academy. So that background check and all that stuff, because it was within the six months, just carried over into the uh, the application process. Yeah, my brother was still with JSO when I applied. So let's before we talk about you getting on, let's talk about Jacksonville because it's unique. I mean, uh, in terms of its structure, right? So even though it's Duval County, it basically Jacksonville takes up the entire county. It's it's the Jacks. Why is it the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office instead of the Jacksonville Police Department? So in like 1968, we consolidated. So Duval County, we used to have the Duval County Road Patrol and and Jacksonville Police. Due to corruption and everything else, they consolidated and got rid of all that and just became so even like Duval County is the city of Jacksonville. That's like the city of Jacksonville is the largest city in the United States. Like so fun fact, landmass wise, not population wise. But um, so when they consolidated, so now we don't have a chief of police. We don't have anything we have a sheriff. He's an elected. So it's just kind of funny. Like the side of our cars say sheriff's office and the back of our cars say police. And we're a sheriff's office and we wear blue. So Yeah. So when somebody says, hey, it was officer so-and-so, we don't have a police department. That It's a deputy. It's not an officer. Uh, we go by <laughs> officer, though. So that's weird. So we're not sheriff's deputies. We're officers. Your office. So oh, officer okay. so-and-so of the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office in Duval County. Yep. That's it's got to be a little hard to remember. You've got identity crisis here. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, but it's great because there really is no other uh, law enforcement agencies in the city of Jacksonville. We are like, so it's you're, not like a in. lot of places where you keep going. Like they're every four blocks, like down south, seems like they got a different police. Like that would be department. New Jersey. Yeah. Every two miles is a new department with its own nine one one center and stuff. But now, did you guys wear stars or uh, regular badges? Badges. Okay, badges. We don't need no stinking badges. How many how many sworn officers did you guys have back then? Uh, seventeen hundred sworn. Wow, it's a big agency. You guys had a when I was stationed in Miami. You guys had a great reputation. Yeah, I think we still do. I mean, we, the, the city of Jacksonville is, is. I mean, the, our police department is well respected. I I believe. I haven't heard anything bad about us. Now. Um, that seventeen hundred that did that also include the court, which is we're going to talk about now because that's what you went into first. Is that seventeen hundred just basically your road investigations, or is that is that uh, that's only sworn, right, excluding the court? That's, that's full time sworn, so that's really not counting the courts and our corrections side of things. Okay, so you guys, but otherwise, you guys are really big agents. When you add everybody in, you're probably what three thousand people, maybe. I would think so. Yes. Yeah. So, but when you hired on, like we've seen in a lot of places too, uh, you know, with LA uh, sheriff or other places like that, you don't always get to start out on the road. You got to start somewhere like either in the jail or the courthouse. So where'd you start at? I started in the courthouse. So I was, I was a bailiff for about two years before I got about a year and a half before I made it to the streets. So, but when you got out of the academy and you got hired, um, what kind of training did, did you have to go through any additional training to start off in the court? In the courts, um, we did like a one week 
um, really not additional training, but just how the courthouse works, like an in-house kind of familiarization, yeah, type, familiarization of type deal. And then once you leave the courthouse and you go to the street, that's when you would start going like to the, the pure FTO program of eight weeks in the academy and then four months on the, on the road. Well, let's talk about your time in the courthouse because it actually served you well for a couple of reasons. Number one, you probably got to see a lot of trials, right? Yeah. I mean, I saw more trials than I, I mean, well, less trials than I thought. That's kind of when I figured out that people don't go to trial very much, but, um, <laughs> a lot of plea bargains, a lot of plea bargains. Um, but yeah, it, it did great. Cause I could watch people. Um, I can see how officers who testify well, I can see officers who testify poorly and how like people interacted with the jury and the attorney, like it can, it, 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 it was awesome really. And then just seeing like, you know, through, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Like trying to get stuff thrown out of court, like what people did and, and you know, what, what stood up, what didn't stand up, you know? So it was, it was, it was an awesome experience and it helped me tremendously as a young officer. Now there's usually a telltale sign, like on jury trials, um, if it's just the time that they're out, normally if they're out a very short time, you know, usually the defendant's getting hammered. The longer they take, the better it is. But there's also another tell. Did you ever, were you ever able to detect when the juries came back in just by the way they looked uh, at the defendant or looked at the prosecution, whether or not uh, they had found him guilty or her guilty or not guilty? Uh, some of them would give it away. Um, but, I mean, it's... I. Uh, some of them would surprise you, though. Like, I mean, I've been in some. I was like, there's no freaking way they just found that guy not guilty. But they did. But Yeah. You know. So um, did you ever hear any jury fights? No. I, I never heard any jury fights. <laughs> <laughs> Have you there's been a couple. Yeah. I mean, there's. we were at a homicide trial one time. It was um, – you know what it was? It basically boiled down to somebody just wanted to give the guy a freebie on at, at least one charge, and everybody – you could hear him in the jury room yelling because we're, we're thinking this is only going to take five minutes. It, it took actually longer to elect the, the head of the jury than it did to come up, but you could hear one guy in there going, are you a fucking idiot? You know? So uh, they <laughs> Why, sent yes, the sheriff's office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but, uh, but that was – but you know the other thing too? That's kind of like – it's a lot of people discount that they got, ah, oh, that's just courthouse stuff. But I mean, you really learned a lot of stuff, right? Not only from testimony, but how to deal with people. Cause you had to deal with prisoners and people who broke the law. I mean, day in, almost day in and day out, right. Moving people around, watching them getting cooperation. Oh yeah, for sure. Like you, you had to start, I mean, every, in our courthouse, every courtroom had like a mini holding cell in the back where you'd have to take people in and transportation would, would bring them in and out there in shackles. You know, you had to, you know, be firm, but also kind of deal with them sometimes if they got to be loud or be quiet. You know what I mean? It's just kind of, you kind of learn a little bit of negotiation skills and just people skills on how to deal with people. And that's, that was just another good thing is how to handle yourself and conduct yourself in court. There's a certain way to conduct yourself and how you can earn the respect of the judge and you and and see things. And it was kind of I mean, like I don't have any bad things to say about working in the courthouse. I didn't like it at the time because I wanted to go to the street. But looking back, it, it really helped and probably helped me make several cases and do, you know, and do the right thing. Well, let's talk to about a couple of, you know. 
one of the sad things you always see too is sometimes we've seen cases to where a prisoner is able to disarm a corrections officer, you know, or a deputy because sometimes they tend to be maybe older or they're just there by themselves. And we've seen instances of where they've been shot and killed. Um, cause I think people just take it for granted that, oh, if you're in shackles and everything that, Hey, you know, you're, you're not going to be an issue, but were there a couple times though, too, where you had people go sideways on you, you know, things that might've gotten a little out of hand? Oh yeah. I mean, we've had, I mean, people get sideways. We, I had a, <laughs> a guy try to escape one time. He was already out on bail. He came up, they were, they were, um, remanding him into custody and he was like nope and he so i had to chase him through the hallways and stuff but i think that's jacksonville does a really good job of mixing young officers and retired officers. so like when you start you know because <laughs> the retired the yeah. older ones say go get him yeah the 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 senior guy sitting at the courtroom he's like go get him go get him boy <laughs> like you know sick him and then you just go run chase and he's just gonna sit there and do his thing but I mean, that's, that was an awesome thing. Cause just learning from those guys, you know, they're off the street and just how, I mean, things, you know, it, it's funny to listen to their stories. Cause back when they were policemen, like fleeing felon was a thing down here in Florida and they were, they were shooting at everybody. <laughs> like, you know, you steal a car, you're getting shot at. <laughs> so like listening to some of their crazy stories and just, you know, but it is what it is. And, and now it's funny. Cause like, Nowadays, people are like, I, I don't know how I could be the police now. Like, you know, like guys my age, I'm like, bro, we heard that when we were in the courthouse from older dude. Like, it's just like, yeah, I get that I don't probably couldn't wear a camera and all that because I'd probably curse or say something silly on it. But that's all like the younger officers know so that you just adapt to the, the, to the environment that you know. You know what it reminds me of? It's the same thing they said about music. Oh, that rock music. You can't listen to it. And then the next generation, all oh, that music, you know, and it's just, it's like you say, it's, I think it's generational. Never had cameras. I mean, when I first started, it, it first started just getting the in-car cameras, you know, and then things like that. And then now it's like, but you know, the other thing too, it's set this false expectation is that there will always be a camera and that there will always be DNA. And it affects the credibility of the officer because they don't believe you unless you've got the camera, unless you've got the DNA. And so the only change I've seen that I kind of thought was disheartening is that it's no longer about your credibility as an officer. I mean, hey, I raised my right hand, swore to tell the truth. And, you know, this is, this is what I did. But now they're going, okay, but where's the video? Where's the body cam? You know, where's the DNA? Well, that's, I mean, that's what I hate about it is it takes away all the hard work and of you not being a dirtbag, you not being, you going through background checks, you doing everything. And then you devote your life to civil service and you're working and your life and your word is the same thing as some, you know, drug dealer sitting there saying, well, I didn't do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not, that's not how the world works, but that's how they, they want it to work in law enforcement. But that's, that's not even how it works in anything. You know, people have to, earn trust and have loyalty and live by a code and things like that. And a camera can't, you know, it's called the that. CSI effect. I mean, a lot of that started changing when you had shows like CSI come out and they thought, Oh, we can get DNA. And, but they also taught them how to bleach crime scenes and get rid of DNA. So it's always kind of had a bad effect, but well, but, but you did about a year and a half. So what's the process then for getting out of the courthouse onto the road? Do you just have to wait till a slot comes open? Do you apply interview? How's that work to go from one to the other? Well, you've, I mean, you've already applied for the, the position of going to the streets. They're just like your holding spot is just, 
so you have a job. I mean, it pays well. You get insurance. Like, I mean, it, it's a – so then you just – whenever they're running like a hired class, it's almost like seniority. It just kind of – like how long you're at the courthouse just depends on when they're running hired classes, you know. And then if you do a good job in the courthouse, you just get – like you can almost say like, all right, I'm, I'm – these people were ahead of me when I got here. Like you can almost predict when you were going. And then you just get selected and then you would go to an eight-week um, – course on like so like the academy just taught you state laws and state and then that eight week will uh set you up for like the jacksonville sheriff's office uh sops and and uh their operational orders and things like that so you then you got to go learn like what jacksonville sheriff's office does yeah, local county ordinances or now. Did you guys have did, did, did so when you guys wrote tickets? Were was it under a city ordinance, a county ordinance? I mean, how did that work? Uh, you can do it under both. Okay. <laughs> wow, you get the best of both worlds. Do I want to be a prick and charge you as a deputy, or do I want to cut you a break and charge you as an officer? I don't know. But I mean, let's I, think. Yeah, I mean, everything was just pretty much a state statute. I mean, everything that yeah. we've done, we very few county and city ordinances that I used to deal with, except for like curfews and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, that's interesting too, because, uh, curfews, um, those things have been proven to shown to be effective. It's you're like, there's no reason for a 16 year old kid to be out at midnight or one o'clock in the morning, except for they're usually involved in something. I guess, but it's still America. America. <laughs> yeah. But Hey, but, you know, they've shown it in places, too, you know, where you've got these youngsters in those areas. You've got higher incidents of, like, property crime, auto burglaries and stuff like that. Oh, but- I'm sure it works. I mean, they, they, they got the statistics down, but then you got some chiefs and or, you know, your lieutenants. Like, how many – you could have – I could have busted four kilos of cocaine, but I didn't, I didn't hit my – my curfew violators that month. I'm getting, I'm getting counseled. You know what I mean? <laughs> getting I'm like, hammered for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we had guys we used to call Captain Curfew. That's all they did. And it's like you, know, you might want to mix it up a little bit next to go after some felons and yeah, stuff. But. but but they were they were held at high regards because they got all those curfews. Oh, <laughs> uh, they got the stats, baby. It's yeah, the stat game. Yeah. So um, now, when you got when you got selected too, Jacksonville has at that time you got on or when you went to the road, did they have a take home car policy at that point? Not at that point. They do once you make it out of FTO and you, um, like you make it out on your own, you'll get assigned a patrol car. That's your police car. You take it home. You take care of it. That's the uh, Indianapolis effect, I think, or something they call it. Yeah, I think that's what Indianapolis PD was one of the first ones that did the take-home cars. Yeah, I mean. Did that whole study on it, yeah. And the FTO being the field training officer program. Yeah, yes, field training officer. I get bitched at all the time for using acronyms. <laughs> I'm just saying if you're going to catch up here, Murph. You know, he said SOP earlier too, but I thought everybody knows that standard operating procedure. But um, what was the eight weeks like? Was that was that just more of a classwork, you know, show up, or was it more academy-like? Did you have to do physical stuff and shooting? Uh, you got to do shooting. So now you, you've passed your state qual, but then Jacksonville Sheriff's Office pistol qual was more than just – was was more um, – more rigid, more rigid. So you had to pass it, um, had to pass the driving standards and, and like, you'll get to learn like the state doesn't do like, um, like pit certified, um, 
but the sheriff's office will. They'll pit certify you. Like that's where you're gonna get like some of your little things, like becoming like uh, critical incident training, like your CIT. Like that's where they're gonna plug those things in. So when you make it out of FTO, you know you're good to go. Now, would you guys define pit as pursuit intervention technique, or do you call it another name? Pursuit intervention technique. Yeah, and that's just that's where you tap the back of the car. You don't you know, just tap it, makes, it, you drive through it. And you don't, you drive, you don't tap it. When you tap it, it doesn't work. You got to get it, press it, drive through the... <laughs> see, here's the training is kicking in. See, the training... The, I was a test. I wanted to see if you'd actually... The training had stuck with you. You did well. You'd pass well, the first what, test, Jerry. What that translates to is take that son of a bitch out. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but never <laughs> ram it or anything like that because it just... People come in too hot and you, you actually mess up the pit more than, than help it out. It's no longer a pit. It's a crash at that point. Yeah. And then you put your vehicle out and you're like, well, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there have been some wild YouTube videos. You see of some people doing pit maneuvers and they kind of do it wrong, but a guy goes down in a ditch, ditch and then he launches. It looks like he just comes off of a launching ramp and yeah. that car just flips end over end. But um, so you get out. So you get out of that academy, and then you head to your field training program. So how how do they do FTO program in Jacksonville? So you you're going to have four phases. So your first phase, um, you kind of observe. Second phase, you, they put a little bit more responsibility on you. Third phase, a little bit more responsibility. Fourth phase, you go back to your first phase FTO. To see like how so he can judge how you came along, but then he is just observing. Like you're pretty much solo with a guy observing you. Do you have a different FTO for each phase? I mean, like phase one and phase four, the same FTO. Do you have a different one for two and three? Yes. You'll, so you'll go to a different FTO in a different zone and a different, uh, t- different watch. How did they break up the watches in Jacksonville? So we have six shifts. Um, so it goes, I mean, I couldn't tell you exactly. So morning shift starts at, uh, I want to say four 30 in the morning. Watch six gets off at five 50. So there's like a little bit of overlap in the mornings, but some from five 30, every couple hours, a, a there's shift will come staggering through. Yeah. Um, I mean, who gets, I mean, I thought getting up, well, I don't know, four 30 in the morning, man, depending on where you lived in Jacksonville. Now, would you guys have to, you guys obviously have to drive in, what did you call them? Precincts or substations or what you guys substations. So how many did you have around the city? Uh, six. So six zones, six substations. So you'd have to drive into wherever substation you were assigned to for briefing, right? Yes. And but I mean, you, like you said, Jacksonville, I've been to Jacksonville, Steve, I know you have too, man. That mm-hmm. is one, like you say, when they you say it's the largest city in the U S based on landmass, you're not kidding, man. That is one long ass city. Yeah. <laughs> so if you were in a subsector that was in the Southern end of Duval County or the city and you had to go to the North end, how long would that take you to get there? Uh, 30, 40 minutes, probably depending on what time you're going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 4.30 in the morning, maybe, but seven in the morning, eight in the morning, brush yeah, you, hour. you're going to be a little bit. On top of that, did you guys rotate shifts every so often? No, we didn't. We didn't. Ro- I mean, um, that was one good thing. Once you got on a shift and if you liked it, you could stay there. And most of the time when you come out of the academy, you're going to the midnight shift. You're going to mm-hmm. watch five or watch six. You know, that's just how it is. Um, and then once you get some seniority, you can start moving to kind of where you want. So speaking of moving to kind of where you want, um, you were on the street for a little while. What did you want? What was your next goal after you made it out onto the street? Uh, it was to make SWAT it was my first thing that I wanted to do. But I mean, 
my actually like my first thing I want to do is just be a good policeman. Like, you know what I mean? Like just, I, I, uh, wanted to work midnight. So I got on midnights and cause that's what my brother rode when I rode with him. And it was just, it just seemed like, you know, after nine o'clock, everybody goes home and the only buddy, anybody who's out really late at night is, is up to no good. So it makes, it that's what I easy. said about curfew. And you said, no, America, well, it's this still, still America. America. It's still, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think there's a law against it. I just, you're going to get, you're going to get looked at. That's right. <laughs> a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was a good time, you know? Um, but the, the, one of the reasons you said you got on SWAT when we talked earlier, I mean, at the Academy, or at the post academy, right? They kind of did a, a dog and pony show, but they brought in various units and stuff. And was that the fr- had you seen SWAT before when you were riding with your brother? Or was that the first time you'd actually got a chance to interact with SWAT people? That was the first time I got to interact with SWAT people. Um, but it really was like you know. So I got on in two thousand. This is pre nine eleven. This is, and if you wanted to, if you wanted to get after it and you wanted to be a badass, like you went to a large agency SWAT team. That's what you did. If you wanted to to do like that was the get after it kind of guys back then, you know, like there wasn't as much emphasis on like, you know, special forces or the military until after nine 11, which was, that was a tough internal fight for me to have to whether or not I'm, I'm going back or going, not back going to the military. So you just want to swap because of the action or was there something else that really attracted you to that? The action, but also just like being the best of the best, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what I've always wanted to do is at least be able to make it and see, you know, always test yourself. I might not have made it, but, you know, I, I tried, I did this, I put forth my best effort and that's where, you know, I was never, I'm never going to be satisfied ever. I'm always pushing to be better and get better and do the best that I can. Let's go back a little bit because we didn't cover this, and that's interesting because we did talk about 9-11 and the, if it had any impact down there. But for you, did you come close to pulling the pin and joining the military? Oh, for sure. How close were you? Uh, <laughs> very, very close. Like setting up things for me to go and talking to with recruiters and, and, and getting ready to go. Like I was talk, dealing with my family and talking with my family about me going. What branch? Army. Hooah. All right. That's the right branch. All right. And what stopped you? Just talking and, you know, I, th- I think they sold me more on that. The terrorists are coming here more than anything. And we need law enforcement and need guys like you here on the home front type thing. And well, I mean, in a sense, that was kind of accurate because six of the 19 hijackers, uh, a lot of them had contacts. A lot of them, part of the, one of the nexuses was down in Florida, yeah. Muhammad Atta, Nawaf Al-Hazmi, you know, folks like that. So, um, I mean, that's that's no joke. So, you know, you stayed on, though, but um, what was it like then to test for SWAT? I mean, did you – it seems like two years is not very much time before you can test for SWAT. Is that normal or did you, did you get in earlier than most guys? Uh, no, it was the first – at the time, you had to be on at least two years um, on the department, and then did your courthouse time count? No. So then, so I, I had like four years on, pretty much on the department when I came. But even when I wasn't eligible, like back then, to get on the SWAT team, you only had to do a physical part, and then they would select you to do like a six month. Um, like selection process, like go through shooting and things. But the physical part, so like I always went, like I think I, my first time trying out, like I had a month out of FTO. 
Like I couldn't make it. They didn't even look at me, but I wanted to get out there, let them see my face, you know, and start laying the groundwork for when I was eligible that I do want this, that I'm, that you can see me out here trying and things like that. So walk us through the process then. What, what does it, what did you do to get on? I mean, uh, you took the, you took the physical, what's the physical like? So the physical was, was, it was, it was tough. It's a minimum. These are all minimums. It was 12 dead hang pull-ups, a mile under six minute and 30 seconds, 50 push-ups, 50 sit-ups, a seated rope climb with no feet, and then running an obstacle course. And the obstacle course, I think, was under five minutes and 30 seconds. So you were a bigger guy. So how did that work out for you? What, what worked well for you, and what, what was your biggest challenge on that physical? Uh, everything was a big challenge. So at that time, like I went to the academy. I was out of college, and playing football, we ran 40 yards. You know what I mean? We, we, we did our sprints, maybe 100-yard sprints, and, you know, and then to get into the police academy, like I almost didn't make the police academy because it was – it was a mile and a half run, like 15 minutes and 30 seconds. Something that's crazy now that I think about that I couldn't do it. But, like, I mean, I, I got across that finish line in, like, 1529 and, like, dying. <laughs> like, I've always been strong and big. And so, but when I decided to make SWAT, like, I'm, and starting in the courthouse, like, I was like, I've got to cut the weight. I got down. I was probably about 220, 225 at that time to make and the And that team. was down from 275, you said? Yeah, roughly 275. So, just dropped the weight, got my cardio up, got my pull. Like at that time I could do one pull up just because probably cause I was a man and just like, I can pull my body weight up once. You know what I mean? That type thing. And I had to start hitting it and just training. And, and when I put my mind to something, well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. So like, that was just kind of how it was. I was told the entire time that I'm too big to be a SWAT guy. I'm never going to make it. You know, and not only did I make it, I did 17 years on the team and I retired from the team. So it was pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Now, how long did you have to complete? So when they set that physical up, is that something you do in a day? Was there a time limit to get everything done, including the timed runs and the obstacle course? Oh, yeah. No, it was about a two hour. Like they just had, they ran it like, you know, like a machine. Like you did this. As soon as you did it, you had 15 minutes to get to the next one. Like all of them don't sound too tough but when you do them all in one little back to back to back yeah it, it was it was it was tough man and so and the funny thing is so like i'm glad that i went out before i uh did it because i was always worried about the rope climb and the pull-ups and running the mile and i i would look at the obstacle course and be like well if i can do these other things i'm an athlete whatever i can get through an obstacle course didn't make it through the obstacle course my first time <laughs> So I had to put some work in on that. So how many times did you test for SWAT then? Four times. And uh, so when you did it the fourth time and you hit everything, how did that feel when you finally got her done? Well, no, I mean, well, I got them done two other times before it. I knew I was going to pass the physical. It was just getting selected and and, and getting that. It, it, it's funny because I always tell people, people are like really happy. Like, yeah, we got selected. We made it. And I was like, that's like celebrating. We just got captured. Cause now we got to put in six months of hard work. Congrats. We've been captured yeah. by Al Qaeda. Yeah. Yeah. What you're saying. So how long, so you tested, didn't get selected. How long would it be between each test before you, so you had to go back and test each time what you're saying when they had a new selection process. Oh yeah. And I mean, I tested three times before I was even eligible to, to make it. 
So, like, they, I, mean, I would do it, and then I wasn't eligible, so they'd say, thank you for coming out, Jared. Nice seeing you. Hey, see you next time type deal. And it was mostly just to let them know that, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm not going away. I'm still here, and I still want did it. Did they think you were crazy, or were there other people crazy like you that were out doing that? That's what everybody did. I mean, we're all, I mean, a little bit crazy. That's why you're on SWAT. You know what I mean? But, like, that's, but that's the dedication it takes. You, you go put yourself through it and, and show that you're willing to hurt yourself and do all these things. And you're willing to sacrifice because that's all they're really looking for. Out of a new SWAT guy, I offer nothing to them except for being strong and being fit and being determined. Like, and then they'll and teach me coachable, everything else. Teachable. Yeah, they'll teach me everything else. So that's just kind of how it is. Well, come on, tell us the real reason you got on SWAT is because they let you grow beards. No, they didn't let us grow beards at that time. <laughs> so that oh, no. A, no, like, you, we couldn't have beards at that time. So... Oh, that came later. That so. came later, so that was good. All right. So when you got on SWAT, then what's the next thing? How do they? How do they? I don't know. Do you guys do a certification process? Additional training? What's What's the standard where you go from being selected? Now you go through six months. What does it take to get to that point where you can deploy on a team? Yeah. So there's not a standard per se, like a national standard or a state standard. But for us, it was over 100 hours of training, and. Um, now they get a bunch more training, but for us, it was just, we only got, um, you get a hundred hours of training. And then twice a year, we always go and do a 40 hour, five, five day trip during the spring and the fall for like the whole team to get together and do like training, training up for the year. So we get two of those a year. So you'd, once you have your hundred, then you kind of go to the, to the five day. And then that's when you'll get initiated or, you know, receive your pin right there at the end of the five day if you make it through what kind of pin was it just said swat <laughs> what kind of what kind of initiation was it i had that you got to make the swat team for a sheriff's office for me to tell you that <laughs> you know because a lot the seals too you're see special forces guy you know they'll they'll pound that uh pin on them you know at the end of training once they qualify rangers you know seals and stuff so yeah, did they that. pound did they pin the, did they pound the pin through your flesh i don't know you'd have to try out Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Uh, I'll just I'll just stay in command and walk in like MacArthur did after the whole battlefield has been uh, secured, right? Yeah. So, uh, so you get on SWAT now. Are you married at the time? What's your status when you get on SWAT? Single when I made SWAT. Did you? And what kind of lifestyle were you having at that point? I mean, you're a single guy now. You've made it onto SWAT. You're getting to do a lot of fun stuff. What was life like right then? Uh, life like that? Well, it was. A, it was a. It was a good time. Had a good job. Had a good, you know, got to do what I wanted. Had a little bit of money in my pocket, and it was it was fun. Now, had you moved out on your own at that point? Oh yeah, I moved out on my own uh, in the academy. I was out on my own. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a good time. You know, working off duty, making extra money, doing it was it was good. You know, it becomes your life. It's your lifestyle. Yeah. Hey, well, actually, before we get into that, once you once you once you made the SWAT team, once you were initiated, what was your what was a what was a week like for you guys? What kind of schedule did you guys work? How many call outs a week did you get? So we were a full time team. Um, at the time when I made it, now you kind of move over into the SWAT office, but that has built over the years that I've been on the team. Um, back then, you still stayed on patrol. Like the newer guys were on patrol. And the older guys were in what we called the SWAT office. Um, so I would just do regular work unless SWAT 
unless we had a SWAT mission. And if our team was like, so our SWAT team was broke up into four different uh, squads. So if your squad was up, like you had to do work and we averaged over like 350 missions a year. So as it goes up, so like, I mean, we were doing SWAT stuff a lot and then I'd have to go work patrol and just bounce back and forth. So like carry well, on in your- our trunk, yeah, like our trunk was just full yeah. of all my SWAT stuff. So um, at the time we had pagers. If your pager went off when you were at work, you just called your sergeant and said, I got to go. And then you got to go. Hey, now inter- you mentioned earlier that a couple times a year for five days, you, they'd get everybody together and train you up. So during those five days, who covered, you know, who covered for SWAT or were you guys still in the area and could respond if you had to, or how did that hat, how'd you handle that? Sometimes we were still in the area and sometimes um, we would use like Clay County was like kind of like our sister. St. John's County is kind of like our sister SWAT teams and they could handle a call out. Or there's been several times that, you know, we're in the area, but not too far. And if the call out wasn't that, like we, we would drive, <laughs> you know, if your team was up, we had several times, all right, guys, we're out of here. And they'd leave training and go handle business and come back. When you were on patrol and got called up that, um, for people that haven't been on the street, you, you probably don't understand that, um, that leaves a void in your zone because you're covering a particular area. And now everybody else has got to kind of pick up the area that you just had to vacate, not for a bad reason. You got a call out, but you know, it just puts a little more responsibility on them, right? It's it's a little bit more taxing. It does put a lot more responsibility on them. And that's what a good policeman and a good SWAT man does is when I am there, I would help them out as much as I Because when I'm gone, they got to take up my slack. So I, I never wanted to be a burden on my squad mates or anything. So, like, you just got to have a good reputation and they take care of you because they want to take care of you, not because they have to. Because then it just becomes... You know, because I mean, there's, there's been bad SWAT guys out there who just don't, you know what I mean? That don't care about that stuff. And it, it gives the rest of us a bad name. You kind of, you kind of bank some, you know, political ca- or, you know, working capital with the guys by doing that work. So that when you took off, there wasn't, cause I know what you're getting at too, Steve, we had folks too. It's kind of like resentment. Like here he goes, right. leaving us again, leaving us, you know, I got to pick up his slack. But if you, but if you build that capital up with these folks, it's like when you take off, they go, Hey man, I'll, I'll take one for the team. You go handle it. We got you covered. Right. I mean, that's, and that's what it's about. Like, you know, I mean, that's kind of the, the brotherhood and people take it for granted or whatever, but that's, that's what you got to do. You got, when you're there, just be the best and go over the tops because you're not going to, you have to understand that you are putting a burden on them. You know, you are even like having a supervisor who's not SWAT and he's got it now, you know, I'm gone. I'm at training at least once a week. So I'm off one day a week, no matter what. So, I mean, that just sucks for they them. They got to figure out how to cover get, you know, how to get coverage and, you know, still handle calls for service. And so some supervisors hate having guys that are on specialized units on their squad because they have to do that. But I did, I always wanted to be that you, you were glad that Jared Reston was on your, your squad. Cause I am going to go above and beyond and do what you ask me. You ask for volunteers. I'm going to volunteer. If I'm there, I'm, I'm going to do it. So it helps other people not have to do it yeah. and things like that. And that's part of the family right there. That's looking out for each other. Yeah, for real. So how long did you work in this uh, a part-time, in a sense, position before you made it full-time? Uh, probably another year and a half. So how did that come about that you got on full-time? Just Did they change policies? Did they change the structure? Or was it just like a, a seniority position, like you were the next guy up for a full-time? Yeah, I was just the next guy. Like, you know, just if, you know, people 
for various reasons, leave the team all the time. So whenever people leave, you know, then the younger guys just, it was just my time to move up. What was that like when you got that call and you're like, now I'm full-time SWAT? It's awesome. I mean, it was that, that, I mean, it's, that's when you get to do a lot of the cool stuff you hear about <laughs> <laughs> and not just call outs and things like that. Well, what, what do you mean? So let's go into that. What are some of the other cool things besides call outs? So like, I mean, search warrants are always awesome, like narcotic search warrants. And sometimes if they had enough people in the office, they didn't call in other people. So now I'm, I, uh, I, I probably tripled my high risk warrants, but we also did uh, criminal apprehensions of, so we were kind of like, we are kind of the U S marshals for the city of Jacksonville. Like we track our own phones. We do a lot of like, we do everything that they can do for everything to find criminals. So we find every violent criminal in the city of Jacksonville. So, I mean, that, I mean, that's a lot of fun that, that led to a lot of fun stuff. Oh, no doubt. That's always fun. Hey, so tell us when you were geared up, describe for us, you know, what, what, what were your, uh, sidearms? What were your primary weapons? You know, what did you, what, when you've got fully suited up, you know, and, and, uh, jocked up what did you look like so what did i look like last I mean, in year terms when of i the retired gear you... or when i when when, <laughs> <laughs> when i first got on the team let's talk about when you first got on the team and then tell us also then when you retired so we can see kind of like how much things have changed over the years um so when i first got on the team it was still helmet um a big big body coverage vest um my sidearm was a glock 22 we still carried the same uh pistols as patrol did um so it was a glock 22 my first long rifle i was issued three rifles when i got on the team i had an m16 a1 and then i had a fnp90 and then i had an mnp um mp5 sd so like those were like my my weapons but like the p90 was kind of my primary long gun which was a terrible gun why is that <laughs> they're fun to shoot, but those bullets do nothing when they hit people. <laughs> they're, they're and who makes who, what brand is that? FN. Yeah. Uh, Fabrique Nationale or whatever. For, yeah, is the Italian one right? Yeah. Or is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like I guess so. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, there's so many. We we did the review of Die Hard, and there were so many different weapons on there. You know, and you look at this uh, the the star. You look yeah. at yeah the uh, you know. H and Ks, the MP5s, and stuff like that. So now that's what a five your... seven two round, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's a five point seven. Yeah, by twenty one or whatever it is. I don't know. It's terrible. They penetrate body armor. They they just they just ice pick people though. They're terrible for hitting meat. They don't do mm. it. I mean, they'll just they'll fly right through, and they dump their energy too quick. They they don't do anything. Wow. We literally shot a guy with it one time, and he put his hand up and said, "Stop shooting me with that." <laughs> Yes, sir. <laughs> You're like, just pissing me off. Yeah. I mean, I, it was like, and he lived, and I was just like, this is this is a stupid round. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we don't want to jump ahead, but just jump ahead only for the sake of telling us. So when you retired, uh, how had things changed in terms of uh, body armor, equipment, things like that? So helmets. I mean, body armor now has just gotten thinner and lighter. Um, so. Thinner and lighter armor, um, not as thick plates anymore, and and all that. Uh, left with an AR, sidearm was an AR-15. Uh, pistol was a Glock 17. We got away from the the 40 cals and went back to nine mil. Um, was there a reason why? Because I mean, most of the times you think 40 calibers got more, you know, uh, stopping power, more, you know, energy. 
Uh, it doesn't. Not with modern day bullets. Like bullet technology is caught up to even like people say 45 and all that. Nine millimeter, like the, the round capacity far outweighs. And even with a 40, it's just a terrible gun to shoot. It's real snappy. It's the recoil management is just terrible on. They're just, it's not. It's not made for it. It's a bored out nine millimeter. It's like the gun, the Glock was engineered around the nine millimeter. It, it, it works best with the nine millimeter. Now with like modern bullet technology, you're not getting any benefit from another, a bigger caliber. What kind of rounds are you using with the nine millimeter? Do you, or do you have the Hydroshocks or? No, we what? use the Winchester Ranger SXTs, the hundred, the 127 grain plus B pluses. So, I mean, they're shooting laser beams. Yeah. Yeah, and those the plus P is you know for higher pressure too. I think right. Yeah, so plus P plus. Yeah, plus P plus. So you're getting you're getting way faster feet per second coming out of that gun. I mean it you're, it it's humping. So it, so between when you started and when you ended, what was the biggest advancement in SWAT gear and technology that you saw over your time? Uh, the rifles. Um, going from AR-15s, now you go into a shorter barrel rifle, you got suppressors, you have handrails, you have red dot optics, now you got variable optics. Like when I, there was no optics when I got on steel, the team. Steel sights, yeah, yeah steel, on the M16. So, so that's kind of like when Aimpoint and, and EOTechs were coming about, but most of it was still, you know, running iron sights. Um, not a good rail systems, really. I mean, the AR-15 is just, the you know global war on terror has made the the AR just an awesome awesome weapon system, like with just longer rails, free throat rails. The um, now like now we all have night vision, we all have lasers, we all you know that's that is what's you know really helped. Yeah, it's moved from being a rifle to more of a platform. Yeah, I mean yeah, it's a real it's a platform. platform now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was the bigger the biggest advancement. So let's now circle back a little bit too, because you talked about one of the great things about the single life you were living at the time is, uh, you know, working the different things and working off duty. So let's, because off duty is now going to be central to our story. We'll be getting into here in a little bit. So let's talk about off duty. How did how did it work with off duty uh, in Jacksonville? So off duty with Jacksonville, you you were in uh, full police uniform, full like you drove your police car, everything. The business would pay you like when you were off to work that to work any law enforcement um, problem out on their property, but the they would also have to pay the city three dollars for every hour that you worked for use of your car and use of gas and like use of your uniform. That's pretty lucrative. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it, I, I, it's good for everybody. I think. <laughs> What percentage do you think of the people, the sworn people, how many people, you know, as a percentage you think were working off-duty jobs? Whew. 90%. No kidding. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was – so especially like on patrol, it worked great because like our overtime wasn't – on patrol, you're not really – overtime's not available to you really that much. I mean, sometimes during the Christmas season and things like that. So it's just kind of a way to do it. But most even – once you had a little bit of time on off duty, it was like paying like $25 an hour. That, that was less money than your hourly rate. The other one, but it was still extra money. So you can go out and work. They only allowed you to work 120 hours a month though, 
in um, off duty. Off duty. So they kind of rein you in, so people like just don't go crazy and show up to work, like you know, working twenty five hours straight or something. But um, were you allowed to work off duty on the same days you had duty, or was this only for when you had days off? Days off. You could work. You could work if, like, if you wanted to come in before your shift and do like a f- couple hours, but you weren't allowed to do over sixteen hours in one day with your shift, which is your twelve hour shift, and plus off duty. Plus off duty. Yeah, that's good too, because that's what I was going to ask you too. Were you guys then uh, three twelves? Is what they call three twelves? Three days, twelve hour days? No. Or so you- at the time we ran a, a blue and red schedule, or no, SWAT was on blue, blue and gold. So it was like five days on, four days off five days on, six days off type deal. Almost sounds like a firefighter. <laughs> uh, not quite firefighter, not quite firefighter. but you, Yeah, they got it much easier, yeah. You couldn't yeah. sleep or cook, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it was it was good. So like on your five day off, or it was five days on, four days off, four days on, six days off, or not six days off, six days, four days. However it worked, you worked six off, five, worked yeah, five you still had a lot four. of days off. Yeah, you yeah. had a lot of days off. And... You know, you could, um, you can, if you wanted to work, you could work. So, and especially like being young, you were going to work. Like, that's just how it is. You got to start building up, you know, everything you can. A little bit of capital there in the bank. But the other, but one of the things too, you kind of followed in your brother's footsteps too, right? In terms of off-duty jobs. Yeah. So, um, I started working at Regency Square Mall. My brother worked there. Uh, we worked at some nightclubs together, um, you know, out front of those. And that was, that was, I mean, that was about it. Cause those were kind of like the good jobs. So he kind of paved the way to help me get on where the good jobs were. Now, how did these places go about picking you? Cause one of the previous episodes, when we talked with somebody, they basically had like a, a, a supervisor or lieutenant, somebody who kind of supervised a particular location or they were responsible for staffing it. How did it work with the mall and stuff? Was there a particular person who assigned from the sheriff's office and said, okay, Jared, you get this, you know, you get this shift this time. Yeah. So we had the, 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 the company will hire a guy and they call him the scheduler. You can get with the scheduler of that particular business and say, Hey, I want to work. And whether or not he, he wants you to work or has stuff for you is kind of on him. Or you can go to like our secondary employment, um, division, I guess. And if there's not a scheduler, like a business will call and say, Hey, I need two officers for this. And then like on their little webpage, they'll put it out. So you can go to a webpage and kind of select what jobs you want that way too. So, I mean, there's always stuff to do if you wanted to do it. So tell us about, because this is going to be central now to the story, is the mall. So tell us about, you know, Regency Mall, the area that it's in, Arlington. You know, what's that area like? Arlington is its kind of its own little city. I mean, you can go from multi-million dollars houses on the river to straight-up hood projects. And so that little area is, is, is good. I, we call it, uh, the zone is zone two, which that's where I work patrol too. And it was just a good zone to work because you didn't get too jaded. Like sometimes when you only work in hoods, you don't, you forget how to talk to people and you've kind of, you know what I mean? Cause you're only dealing with the, like some of the worst people. And then, you know, like I like zone two, cause you know, you're doing one call and then you, you're just going to something else that you might have to deal with you know, just someone who made a mistake or, you know, whatever's going on. So 
you got a lot of variety then in your work, right? right so, yeah. so from petty stuff to real serious crime. Right. So in Regency Square Mall at the time, it was it's a it's a decent mall, but on the weekends, it, you know, some riffraff would come on in and you know go to the movie theaters and do stuff and and cause problems. So they always kind of hired uh, police to handle that area. Was now was that staff the entire time that the mall was open? Did they have off duty people working? No, only on the weekends. Only on the weekends, okay. So, um, but you also worked this too. You had a really good friend uh, that you basically you guys would partner together when you worked the mall, right? Well, not when we worked the mall. We were partners on the street. We were partners in the courthouse. We were partners when we got out together. He he got hired. He went to the street about four months before me. But we were partners in the like. I always seemed to kind of end up where he was, and um, we're best friends. And he, you know, he was so he was my partner on the street. But that's who I worked most of the time with at Regency Square Mall with him. So let's talk about this then. So you're putting in now, um, give us kind of the time frame, give us the time of year, because we're going to be talking, actually, the day that we're recording this, we're not too far away in terms of day from the anniversary. So tell us, let's start setting the context for the day then. Tell us what the day and date was. January 26, 2008. Was this a day off for you? Yeah. So it was my day off and I was working off duty at the mall with Chris. All right. So what time? So is this like a Friday or a Saturday? It was a Saturday night. Um, I, that, those days you work like 11 hour shifts. You come in like two to 11 or like four to 11 or whatever it was, or two to one, whatever it was. And it came out like I came in a little bit after Chris, Chris was working the long shift and I came in a little bit after him and, um, just working the mall. <laughs> It was just like any other time. <laughs> What's the weather like in Jacksonville in January? Dependent, but nothing crazy. I mean, never like, you know, we. it could be cold and chilly, but nothing crazy, I guess. Yeah. And the one requirement, too, when you worked off duty, because that's why I was joking earlier about the beard, even though at, at some point in SWAT, you're able to wear a beard and kind of dress down. But when you were in uniform, you had to adhere to uniform standards for grooming and everything else, right? Right. So that was clean shaven. No, no mustache, no... You could have a mustache. You could have a mustache, but mustaches weren't cool then. Mustaches are now back. Like we had that. <laughs> yeah, like I like your mustache, but like you know, '90s and early 2000s, you didn't rock mustaches. Mustaches have made a you know the millennials are bringing the stash back though. <laughs> hey, just so you know, Jared, my wife has seen me one time in my life without a mustache. Her comment was, "Don't ever do that again." Yeah, my dad. My dad has a mustache too. And it's just, you know, that's just kind of how it was. I mean. Or unless you're like LAPD SWAT. They, they've had the mustaches for a long yeah, time. When, I remember, too, no mustaches. When I started on the police department, state patrol, no mustaches, nothing. And now you got – now I'm looking at going out. Um, I went to a training one time, and I think it was actually in Jacksonville, Institute of Police Technology and Management, University of North Florida there, had a guy in a ponytail. And I'm going, what, what, you know, it's kind of weird because it, it was a homicide course. So I'm going, so like you work an undercover? What are you doing? He goes, no, I'm just a patrol officer. Where? Berkeley, Berkeley, California, oh, ponytail and a beard. <laughs> yeah. That was his patrol outfit. Yeah. Uh, let's say you blend in with everybody else. Uh, with about three years ago, maybe even four now, the sheriff's office will now let you wear a beard, but you just have to keep it short and groomed, like in uniform and everything. What's the policy on tattoos? Um, can't be obscene. If it's obscene, you got to have it covered, but you can have sleeves and you can have tattoos. I don't think you're allowed to have tattoos above the collar or on your hands, but 
so like above the wrist and can't go up up the neck, you know, up yeah. the side of the. You can't do a Mike Tyson tattoo, right? But I mean, a lot of that stuff. I mean, um, like when I had my tattoos and stuff, it was, it was just it couldn't be obscene. And if you had a sleeve, I think you had to cover it up. So like nothing underneath your short sleeve. Um, and the, but like, like with the beards and stuff, like that's a hard thing to do. It's hard to recruit a young guy without like a showing tattoo nowadays and a beard and things like that. So again, it's like the rock music. It's like you said, Hey, this is, you know, things are different. This is just the way things are right now. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, especially like guys coming out of the military, you know, you're trying to get a young man, you know, he's they're going to have some tats. Well, yeah, he's living that warrior lifestyle and warrior. Like he's going to have his tattoos and he's going to have that stuff. And you're, you're just going to miss out because he's got tattoos. That's silly. When you said you were working the malls now, now tell everybody what that means. Working the mall. Uh, so your responsibilities, responsibilities would be anything that was law enforcement related at the mall. But like we would just walk the mall, um, you know, talk people, keep the peace. If like there was a shoplifter or disturbance, they would dispatch us over to it and, and we would just, we would handle it. That was your patrol sector in a sense, right? When you guys were there, you handled it. You didn't call in any units to take reports for you or anything. You guys were expected to handle everything there, right? Oh yeah. You're expected. Like if, if an officer gets dispatched to your location, you're a piece of crap. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like if you're not handling your, like don't, that was like why you worked off duty is so you free up officers on the street so they can handle the street stuff and you handle what you're getting paid to handle. <laughs> like I mean, that sometimes if you were shorthanded, you could call and have them transport them to the jail for you or something like that. But never do they write a report on your, like when you're working that or that you shouldn't, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. There's people who just like, well, you know, whatever, but it shouldn't happen. So, Prior to this night that we're going to get into, let's set a little bit more context. Was what was pr- maybe the most serious incident or serious kind of types of incidents you had worked at the mall prior to this night? Oh, at the mall, I mean, you could handle everything up to uh, fights, disturbances, you know, a lot of misdemeanors. I mean, if there were felonies there, most of them were like uh, grand theft, you know, retail grand theft felony type deals. Um, but mostly just disturbances and fights and and just Stuff with, not I wouldn't say kids, but with like a, a younger crowd. So anything along the lines of like, uh, you know, serious bodily harm stuff like shootings or stabbings? We had a couple shootings, uh, not really stabbings. Um, I don't, we don't really get too many stabbings in Jacksonville. And we, we, we're all into the gunplay, I guess. But <laughs> it's, you know, shootings, uh, just just different things. Nothing, nothing too, and again, like when it was a shooting, it wasn't, we responded to it. We didn't have to deal anything with the shooting. Um, the reason I ask is that I'm trying to set the stage too. what, you know, what it was like work in that area too. So the mall was, you might get a variety of stuff, but, uh, you know, on the, on the whole, it's basically nothing really too serious all the time. It's just more quality of life stuff, nuisance stuff, fightings, you know, just lower level types of things. Yes. Like just trying to make it a shopping mall, not a lawlessness. You know what I mean? Like they just want people to be safe when they get there. So let's talk about this night then. So you show up, um, Chris is already there. So what is your night? What does your day start off with? So when you guys get together, what, what does it look like during the day as you guys are working? You're walking, do you walk and talk, just talk to stores, see what's happening? What's, what's it like to work the mall or what's expected of you? Uh, that we're expected to walk. We're expected to be seen. We're expected to, I mean, 
pretty much think of like the mall as like your little city and you're on a walking beat. So you talk to some people, you know, you, you just say hi and you just let your presence be known that, you know, that you are there and just kind of walk around. Like what were, what were some of the big stores in that mall? Uh, we had, we had Belk, Sears, JC Penney's, Dillard's. I mean, all, I mean, it was, it's a large mall. Like it's a full on mall. <laughs> Single, yeah, single level, double level, triple. Single level, some of the major department stores, they were all double. Had second stories. Yeah, they had okay. second stories. All right. So you guys are walking. So, um, you know, what happens? Let's just walk through, you know, the afternoon leading up to the evening. I mean, really nothing happened. I mean, I think we handled one shoplifter earlier that day. Um, we went and had dinner, just, you know, went to the food court, ate, and, you know, just, it was just an average day at the mall. And then it, before the incident happened, it was, it was, so the incident happened about seven ish. So it was a little later in the day. So like, you know, just kind of prepping for, because at nine, the mall closes about nine 30, we transitioned to like, they have a, a, a large AMC movie theater there, but it's like off, not off property, but separate from the mall. So you can't get to it through the mall, not through the mall. Like you just walk across the park have to go out. It was like okay. its own building. And then that's where problems on like the front sidewalk and that's where, cause you know, parents would just drop their kids off or whatever at one o'clock in the afternoon and say like, I'll see you at 11. And like, so they had nowhere to go. They weren't even going to the movies and it's just, that's where like, they expected know, the mall to be the babysitter. There you go. And like, so riffraff and fights and just everything would happen right there. So like that's, we would transition from the mall over to the, to the theater. So you said earlier in the day you got a shoplifter. Is that a sight and release type of offense? Do you hook them up? What do you do with uh, shoplifters? Um, it depends. So if they qualify for a notice to appear, they get a notice to appear. If they don't, they go to jail. What's the criteria? Was it the dollar loss or? No. no. So if it was a misdemeanor and then they haven't been arrested in a certain amount of time, they had an ID and that was it, I think. I don't I'm telling you right now, I'm a terrible policeman. I was a good SWAT guy. I was a terrible policeman. <laughs> I haven't done I haven't done like like typical regular police work in about 15 years. So. Well, well, how was it then doing reports like that when you don't didn't normally do them on a regular basis? Then I did do them on a regular basis because I worked off duty a lot. Like so, I was good at okay. those then. I mean. I don't even know how to log on to my dispatch screen. Like, if you would ask me last year to like, hey, log on, I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to do all that. I can shoot it. I just can't log on to it. <laughs> yeah, 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 you want me to shoot it? I can do that. Yeah. All right. So let, let's talk about. So you know, just minor stuff. You walk up, you get dinner. So let's let's walk forward because everything starts happening basically after you guys grab a bite to eat. Yeah. So we go back to the mall security office and we're just hanging out. Um, at the time of the the call that came in. I was actually like talking to my wife on the phone. Like we were just sitting in the mall security office. My partner was in, in the camera room with security and I was just kind of hanging out at the, in the common area, I guess, at a little table talking to my wife on my cell phone. When did you got married? Well, she, she wasn't my wife at the time. She was my fiance. We had a, we had a child together. Uh, we lived together. We, but we were engaged at the time, but we were, we were not married. Okay. But I'm just. How old was your kid? Uh, at that day, he was 13 months. Oh, wow. So just a new dad checking in with the mom and, you know, seeing how things are going. So what was your conversation? I couldn't even tell you. I mean, it was just general. Just regular ones. How are you doing? And Yeah, what's going on? What You know, how's the kid? You know, blah, blah, blah. After dinner check. Because, you know, I, 
once you move to the sidewalk and stuff at the AMC, you're going to get busy. You're going to, you know what I mean? So I might not be able to talk to her. So it's just kind of like taking advantage of downtime, I guess. But while you're on the phone, uh, something starts happening. Yeah. So, um, every major department store has like a radio that links straight to mall security. So they came over to the mall security radio and said, Hey, this is Belk's loss prevention. We're going to be stopping two shoplifters exiting out the South doors of their store. Um, the mall security office is on the north side of the mall, so it's about 300 yards away, probably. So we weren't going to make it in time for the for the uh, the stop. So we said, "Hey, we'll bring it up on camera just to make sure everything goes okay." Now, normally, if if things went according to plan, would it would you guys normally have enough time to be there by the time that the apprehension was being made, so there was a uniform presence when loss prevention was stopping them? Yes, they would like that, but sometimes it happens so quick. I mean, you know, in a perfect world, yes. And that's kind of what they were hoping, like maybe we would be right there at the south doors and just walk out and do it. So that's why they Because they had no idea where you were at the time when they called on the radio. Right. I mean, so it's just like one of those, hey, we're we're doing this. If you're there, you're great. If not... Here's where we're going to be. This is where we're going to be, so... So they contact mall security on a separate radio system, but then you guys got a separate radio system between mall security and you, right? Yes. So, but you guys happen to be in the office when this goes down. So walk us through what, what, what happens? Um, the call comes in, you, your Chris is in the camera room. You said with the guy, so what do you guys do? So I walk into the camera room and I uh, tell Chris and or Chris overheard it. He was already told the uh, security officer, Hey man, pull up the South doors of belts. You know I mean? The, the, there's, you know, it's a wall of, of screens and so, you know, he typed in the number, brought it up and brought it up like pretty much just in time for to watch the suspects exit out the store and loss prevention come in, come out right behind him and attempt to make the stop. What kind of quality is the camera feed? Can, can you see faces? I mean, could you identify people from that? I think so. Like, I mean, it, it's, it's not real super grainy, but I mean, again, it was, you know, 2008. I'm, it's not high HD or anything, but I mean, it was, it was a good camera system. I mean, it was, you know, I guess top of the line for that. I mean, you could zoom in and read plates and I mean, it was not, I mean, it was nice camera system. So what happened? So you get this call, you see that they want help. Now walk us through this. So uh, white male and black male exit the store. Loss prevention comes like right behind them. You can see them like show them their badge, their loss prevention badge. Um, the white male begins to physically fight the guy right then. Um, so when, as soon as we see him starting to fight, my partner jumps up. He's starting heading out. Tell my wife I got to go. I hang up the phone with her. We take off running, you know, going through the corridors and working. We had about, you know, probably a 300-yard run or so. And but by so by the time we got to him, they already had the white male like in cuffs, like picking them up. Everyone's dusting themselves off from rolling around in the parking lot. And so we did. Just, you see the fight on the camera? Or was it just Chris and he told you let's roll? No, like I was watching it. Like it was okay. I mean, you could see him fighting, but like literally, we watched two seconds of it. We didn't sit there and watch the fight. We as soon as we recognized they're fighting, we're we were moving. So. um when we got there, you know, everybody was dusting them off. And, you know, we so pretty much we just walked up, make sure everybody's okay pretty much at that point. So, but you've got one in custody, but now one has absconded. What do you guys do? Well, we didn't know what the, really the deal was. We, You know, I, mean, I had to make sure. And, you know, as we're talking to them, hey, what's going on? Everybody good? They said, yeah, we're good. We got, you know, but the uh, black male that was with them also stole something. And we would like him, you know, apprehended. 
And I'm like, all right, well, where's he at kind of deal. And about 75 yards across the parking lot is like a large bus stop, like, like the central location bus stop to like come to the Regency area. Um, and it was fairly crowded with people, but the suspect kind of separated himself from the group so he could see what was happening with us. So loss prevention pointed him out to us. We, you know, he sees us, see him. We had that little aha moment and then he took off running. And then, so then me and my partner gave chase on him. You're a big guy. How big is Chris in relation to you? Uh, well, I was about down about 225, 220, 225. That Chris is probably, you know, 270, 280 at the time, but like a big no neck, you know, Mack truck. Like a front lineman for an offensive line or something. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's a, he's a beast, you know, but, uh, He's funny because I call him a crocodile because he has about a 40-yard sprint. And if he catches you in that, you're going to get tore up. But, but if you can run in a zigzag and get away from him, you're, you're free off to the races. So, Hey, up until this night, how many, how many years or how many times had you and Chris worked together at the mall? Because one of the things that's going to factor in is, is your familiarity with each other. Right. So working the mall, we've worked tons. But Chris was my partner on the street. Chris was my partner when we were on task force. Chris was my partner. We had our own standard operating procedure of, hey, man, like he always, like when we worked two-man cars on task force, he always drove like I was the canine. You know what I mean? He'd put me out, and I'd start, I'd chase, and all he would Kind do, of the courthouse all over again. He'd point, yeah, and you go fetch, yeah. right? So, and he his job was just to keep us in sight, and he's the one who talked on the radio. He's the one who kept us, like, kept everybody you know, directing the troops to us. So, and that, that kind of bit us in the butt that night, but so that's how that went down. Right. Well, let's, let's talk about that because what I want to do is walk you through that. And, um, so let's now, let's start just slowing it down a little bit and breaking it down. So you guys are in the parking lot, you look out there, loss prevention says, there's the guy. So how do you and Chris, is it just that you've worked so much together, you know exactly what you're going to do so you don't have to talk, and this is just is what you just do? You just start going after the guy? Well, we we, we saw him, and, we, and we're like, right there? And, you know, as we point, that guy right there, he turned and ran. So he, like, pretty much self, self-identified self himself. And then, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get after it, you know? You run, it's that's what happens when when prey runs from predator, you chase. <laughs> That's a yeah. good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> when you looked, what was your first impression of the suspect? So, I mean, um, in terms of like age, size, stuff like that, what was your first impression of this kid when you locked eyes with him? Young adult, you know, young adult, healthy, kind of big, you know, that was about it. Okay. So, so you guys start taking, uh, you taking off. How much faster are you than Chris? Uh, at that time we were, we were staying together. Um, because we were just kind of jogging and pushing him. Again, we we he ran across Arlington Expressway, which is a six-lane highway. It gets pretty busy because it happened at 740 at night. So he got across. You know, we hadn't had to watch to make sure he didn't get smoked by a car. So he crossed, and then, and then we crossed. And then it, it ends up into a large outdoor shopping center kind of deal. And he was running towards the front of it, and we were kind of cutting through the parking lot because so, he had to run across the front. Of, uh, on the front sidewalk. So, I mean, we we're still together at that point. You know, no one's really tried to pick it up and go get him yet. We were just going to keep pushing him and pushing him and, you know, thinking he was just going to be like, all right, I, I give up, like get tired and throw his hands up, you know. So 
you guys are you're two big guys. Were you surprised you were able to gain ground on him, or what was what were the dynamics of the situation that allowed you two big guys in uniform carrying at least what twenty five pounds of gear, you know, to close that seventy five yards, and especially you to get to close. I'm in better shape than him. That's what I trained for. I did. That's what I lost all that weight. That's what I did. You know, that's what I. That's what I. That's what Jared Rustin does. You know, he he'll. I'll just get after it. UPS, like UPS, man, you, you deliver. So yeah, yeah. you're out there. You're out there to deliver the package. So, okay, now walk us through that point. So now um, you see him. You you think he's going to stop? When's your first indication? Is that is or when is your first time you think? Yeah, this ain't going to go according to the plan I thought we had. Well, I mean, it wasn't the, the, the plan, really. The plan was still working out. Um, but when he was running across that front sidewalk, like I saw his legs buckle when he put it down one time. So, like, I knew the lactic acid was built up in his leg. He was he was tired. He was done, you know. And that's when I turned to Chris and said, hey, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to go get him. So that's when I separated from Chris. Like, then I just started sprinting hard trying to get to the corner before, so he didn't get away. Um, before I got there to him, he like rounded the corner of the shopping center, but it's a glass corner. So I could like see him through that corner and, and he's just walking. So I don't, he's walking. I don't know if he was trying to act nonchalant to like the other road traffic or he thought he got away. I don't know what he thought. Um, but when I made it to the corner, I drew my taser because at that point I only had, uh, possible retail theft and, and a little bit of resisting two misdemeanors, you know, um, resisting without violence at that time too. So it was really nothing. Like all I could have done is taste them. You know what I mean? At like the kind of the, the max of my use of force. Um, how long had you had, how long had you been issued a taser by that time? Year, two years, probably a, a little over a year, probably. Had you used it much during that time? Oh Yeah. Um, and so I kind of come around the corner, identify myself now as the police, just to kind of make sure he knows he's running from the police. It's not mall security or loss prevention anymore. Like, let's just, let's just give this up, walk back to the mall and we'll, we'll get this taken care of type deal. Uh, he turns around and he looks at me and he puts his hands up, but he never stops. He continues to walk backwards and I keep telling him, Hey man, stop or you're, I'm going to tase you stop or I'm going to tase you. And at some point, he turns back around and starts running again. And like I say, running, it was as best he could do as tired as he was with, like, the lactic acid built up. So I start chasing him again. And again, not wanting to go hands-on with him, I was going to attempt to use my taser. How close were you when, you when you went to deploy your taser? How close were you between you and the suspect? Probably 15 feet, you know. So Is that about a good distance for a taser? It's perfect. Per like, I, I was keeping that, like— he wasn't moving fast enough to pull away, and I could I could gain and do, like I was using it as the not going hands on with him just to staying far enough back where he could deploy the taser and not have to worry about like you say going hands on. Yeah, and not shooting from like thirty. Yeah, not like nothing crazy. It was like a perfect taser deployment <laughs> distance, really. And um, I put that laser sight on his back, went to tase him, and nothing happened. No pop, no uh, discharge of the darts, nothing. Had you ever had that happen before on your taser? Never.
Hey, players, this is the end of part one. Part two, as always, comes out on Thursday, and you get to hear the rest of this story. And let me tell you, it is a story of survival. It is a story of will to win. And you're going to hear the rest of the details, the foot chase, what happens next. So Thursday, part two of Jared Reston and the will to win comes out. In the meantime, go check out our website, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. We've got our new book list there, a lot of other information, pictures about each episode. Jared's pictures are there as well. Check us out on the socials, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. And also go hit us up at Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. Over 60 pieces of just bone-chilling, heart-pumping, blood-thumping content you're going to love. Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. All right, everybody, stay tuned, players. Part two is coming out. Jared Reston shot seven times and the will to win.